we've been talking about revival, renewal, reaching. Did anyone talk about restoration? Now, this will be the last of the four here, but uh, I hope that you'll see the underlying uh, themes throughout the messages on Sunday afternoon and then probably into the evenings uh, as we get into uh, the uh, summer schedule and so forth, because I've decided that we're going to look at the book of Ephesians uh, after this message, beginning next, next Sunday, the Lord willing. And uh, I believe uh, the Lord's impressed upon my heart to, uh, to study the book of Ephesians, but it, because I think it kind of embodies all the things we've been talking about already. Uh, not the same uh, passages of Scripture, but uh, it talks about what we uh, about these four things. Uh, maybe not in the same words, but the same principles that I think are are there. Uh, and so, uh, starting next week, we'll start the book of Ephesians. I don't know; we may be there a while. <laughs> it's one of those books you can spend. Because right now it looks like the first message will be just verse 1 and 2. Second message looks like just verse 3. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just going to, we're probably going to be there a while. So, we'll, I trust you'll stay with me on that. But hopefully we'll re- realize what we, what we really need as uh, individuals, as a, a church body. Now, speaking of bodies, whoops, yeah, restoration. We're going to talk about restoration from Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And speaking about bodies, our bodies are amazing creations. Now, most of our bodies here this afternoon are becoming more and more decrepit. That's why I'm sitting this afternoon. (laughs) Thankfully, my back isn't hurting too bad, and it won't hurt too bad, the Lord willing, after I get done here today. But uh, uh, our bodies just are an amazing thing. Even though they fall apart and uh, they don't work, the way they are supposed to work all the time. Uh, You know, when we have a problem, though, with one part of our body, the rest of the body kind of suffers along with it. Uh, uh, I know we've all had injuries, right? You've all cut your finger or you've all stubbed your toe. Maybe when you were little and you rode your bicycle barefoot and you put the pedal down and your toe hit the ground instead of, you know, oh, makes you cringe right now just to think about it, right? And uh, just all those little things that happen with our bodies, uh, they, uh, with one part of the body gets injured, the other part, uh, oh, you know, we grab it right away, you know, with the other part. This, this, this finger gets hurt, I, I grab it with this one. I might even say, ow, you know, that's the mouth and the brain is working. Well, it may be something very small. It may be an eyelash that gets into our eye. Or sand at the beach. Yeah, you've all been to the beach recently, right? Well, no. I have. Uh, yeah, don't want to hear about it, right? Uh, we were out there with our grandson, well, with the whole, whole family there. And... Uh, the small, youngest one, he got sand in his eyes. Oh, and that was just the terrible thing, you know. And he was holding his, his fist in his eye, and, and he was still trying to play, you know, as he's holding his fist in his eye. 
And then he's really upset about it. And he said, this stupid beach, I'm never coming here again. You know, well, a couple of days later, he was back there, you know, and never even thought about it. But, you know, you get something like that, it bothers you in your eye. And, and uh, you, you just, it's sometimes you make it more traumatic than it really is. Other times it is traumatic. It is something very serious. Uh, it's a major surgery or it's a major injury. And uh, it may have been uh, an, a great number of injuries that our human bodies are susceptible to. But whatever the injury, uh, there, if there's a problem in your body, it affects your whole body. Now, uh, the body of Christ is no different. Now, many of you know, I do not believe the Bible teaches a universal, invisible, mystical church. I believe the passages that refer to the body of Christ are like Ephesians chapter 4 or 1 Corinthians chapter 12. God is telling us, he's talking about a local church is the body of Christ in that, local, in that location. Now, if you want to refer to all believers, uh, and I know many people refer to that to, as the body of Christ, and that's fine, but I think the word family works much, much better. A family goes along with God's uh, word and how he says we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a family relationship. That's not a body. That's not a body part. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I can be a brother to someone in Christ in Australia and Africa. I'm in there. We're in the same family. But we're not in the same body. Here, we're in the same body. And so we're going to talk about how if one hurts in our body, then the others should be hurting as well, right? Or should be at least uh, paying attention to that. And that's what, in these letters that Paul wrote to these different local churches, they were in specific places. Now, since that is true, and when there's an injury in one of the members of a local church, it affects the entire local church. Uh, if the body of Christ was worldwide, well, I know if I had a problem in my life, the guy in Australia and Africa wouldn't even know about it. You know? But if a problem happens in our church, most of us would know about it. I would hope we would know about it. Now, things do happen here that uh, in our local church that uh, sometimes, because some people are so quiet about their injury... Nobody else knows. You might have gone to the hospital and, and nobody knew about it. Just you and your family. Now, I hope you'll tell me when you go to the hospital or you have an injury or you have a problem. I hope you let us know because we want to be a body that you know, helps, you know, comes around you and helps you in that time of injury or trouble or difficulty or sickness. And uh, so... Uh, but, you know, if a body, if the body of Christ is worldwide, then the guy over in Australia and Africa, they don't know what's going on in my life. But we should know what's going on in each other's lives here as a church, as a body of Christ in this location. And what we need to understand is that this is the body of Christ in this location. And while a problem in your life or my life doesn't necessarily touch the whole family of God around the world, it does and it should affect our local church. Now, today we want to take this passage of Scripture and see how we can help heal the broken body. Uh, and I want us to notice the first word in our text here in Galatians chapter 6 says, 
brethren. Now that doesn't eliminate you sisters, but it says brethren. Okay? Paul is writing to and talking to Christians and specifically believers in the churches of Galatia. We read that back in chapter 1. He's telling us how to go about the process of setting things right within the body of Christ. When a member of that body is injured, as we look at this passage, uh, those who are broken will find hope and those who are in the body will find help in dealing with the problem in the body. So, First of all, notice the body injured. The body injured. Verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, restore. And that's what I want us to see here in, in, this, first, in this first point. Now, in verse 1, we have a stumble. Don't you notice that word fault? We would call it a false step. A, uh, it refers to maybe a transgression of the limitations that God has placed upon our lives. Literally, the word means to stumble. Uh, the picture is of a believer who stumbles, who makes a false step in his or her walk with the Lord. It's the idea of taking a step beyond the boundaries established by God and going off into sin. Now, this is a situation that's far too common in modern churches. You see, we are well aware of the boundaries that God has set for us. Uh, we have the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God. Uh, these things will teach us the will of God in our lives. And our problems come when we choose to step over God's boundaries and go off into sin. And the fact is, we all stumble. But we don't have to. We do it because we choose to. It's a personal choice. So there's a stumble. Secondly, there's a surprise. Notice, secondly, the word overtaken. If a man be overtaken. To overtaken, uh, uh, to be overtaken is to overtake by surprise. To overpower before one and make, and make their, can make their escape. The word was used of a criminal maybe being caught red-handed in the commission of fr- crime. Or maybe you found your child in the cookie jar, you know, his hands in there. He's been caught. And he's, oh, hi, mom. <laughs> That's the word overtaken. Someone's overtaken and they're caught. And the picture in this word is of a believer who finds himself in a situation they simply, that simply just kind of gets out of hand. He falls into sin and somehow the cat gets out of the bag. He's caught. There's no denying his guilt. I am so sorry. That's what we were talking about. We just woke it up. (laughs) You can turn me down a little bit now, but since we got the other side working, we're going to work on that. I forgot my water, so I wouldn't have had to cough if I'd taken a drink of water, maybe. Now, if I don't spill, that'll be okay. All right. Now that you're all awake, you were just about ready to go off, right? Weren't you? Just about ready to nod off. Maybe we should keep that sound system. (laughs) 
It wakes people up at certain times. Sin is a progressive thing. It nearly always starts small, but it never stays small. It always grows like some awful cancer until it consumes a life. And then when there is cancer of sin in a life of a believer, Satan will not get rest until he exposes the Christian to the world so that the cause of Christ is harmed. And the testimony of that believer is ruined. So the word overtaken kind of carries with it the element of surprise. The surprise is for the believer on two particular levels. First of all, there's a surprise uh, that we're caught. Somehow people believe that they're smart enough to get away with sin. Uh, Listen, that never happens. Not all sinners get caught in a public fashion, but we're already caught by God. Because remember what we've already said, God knows everything, He sees everything. So we're caught. But then the surprise is, oh yeah, the Lord knows what I'm doing. The Lord knows what I'm thinking. There's also the surprise at their condition. So I said, sin has a way of starting out small and then growing. Most people are amazed that they would have been allowed to walk with the Lord to deteriorate to that point that they, that they did. But no one just gets up one day and says, okay, today I'm going to throw everything away for a few minutes of sin. You don't get up in the morning and decide that. It's something that happens over a gradual time. Maybe a little bit of here, taking a little another uh, step and another step. And all at once, we realize we have a tremendous problem. But yet, it's always a downward progression in the life of an individual that produces the circumstances where the sin is produced in their life. So you have, first of all, a stumble, a surprise, and then thirdly, a sorrow. Now, it says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, restore. Now, we're going to come back to this word again a little bit later, but I want to use it now in, a, in the sense that when we talk about restore, that means to set a broken bone or a dislocated joint. How many of you ever broke a leg or hand or arm or something? You broke some something? Everybody? Anybody not broken anything? You didn't break anything? No, I'm talking about did not break it. Good. I'm not trying to jinx anybody because I don't believe in that. But <laughs> I've, I've not broken a bone either. I'm 66 years old. You've broken a bone, right? You haven't gotten through all your long life without breaking a bone. Well, we all know what that's like, though. If someone breaks a bone, it has to be set. Or if you have a dislocated shoulder or a dislocated uh, part of your body, it has to be pushed back into place. Now, I've had some of that. We won't go there. But the medical term that tells us specifically that there is a problem within our body, that's what the word restore has to do with. So when any child of God falls into sin, it creates a problem for the whole body. Uh, Sin in the body, like any injury, hinders the body. If you have a dislocated ankle, or if you have a broken leg, that's going to hinder your 
ability to walk, your ability to function. Sin in the body, like an injury, hinders the body. So if there's sin in our body here, it's going to hinder the ministry of this church. Remember Achan. Achan in the book of Joshua. His thought, he surely thought this, that only I know about this. This is just just my matter. This is my private matter. But in truth, his sin brought defeat and death to the nation of Israel. And what he thought was private had a major public repercussion. And the same is true today. When a believer gets out of step with the Lord, he falls into sin, they may feel like, well, that's my private business. But that sin will hinder the work of God. Now, not everybody may find out about the sin. But there's something that people say, something's not right in that person. They're not functioning as they should in this body. And so sin can hinder, even though we think it's private, it hinders the work of God. Unconfessed, unforgiven sin in the life of the child of God hinders, it quenches the Holy Spirit, causes the power and conviction of God to be muted. And as a result, the church is not as effective as it could be if all of its members were in a proper relationship to the head that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, like an acute condition in the physical body, a sin problem in the body of Christ must be handled quickly and decisively. Um, you know, you take that dislocated shoulder, or dis- the doctor says, okay, we're going to work on this for several days. And we're going to... No, they usually go... Just like that, quickly and decisively, right? Uh, what about an appendectomy? I can't even say it. Thank you. Appendectomy. I was close anyway. I defer to my pronunciation person. How about a ruptured appendix? You're not going to just say, well, I, think, I hope it gets better soon. No, that's got to be done right away. That's what we've taken care of. Or else the poison will get into the entire body and it must be surgically removed from the body in order for it to heal. Uh, and it can be painful, but it's necessary. And so it is in the spiritual body. When there is sin in the camp, it must be addressed and dealt with in a proper manner if the body's going to heal and function as it should. Now, what is the best way to handle sin in the body? Well, the best way is God's way. God's method for handling sin is diametrically opposed to the method that we would prefer as as people. Men want to try to conceal their sin. They want to pretend that it didn't happen. Uh, God's method is to expose sin to the light. God's method is clearly spelled out in Proverbs Uh, 28, verse 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And so when sin is confessed as it should be, just as widely as it is known, again, many times uh, I've I've said this, you know, if you sin publicly, it should be confessed publicly. If you sin privately, it should be be confessed uh, privately. If you have sin in your life that nobody else knows about, don't come to church and say, okay, I did this and this and this. That's not going to help the body. 
Now, if you did something in the, in the body that was public and, and you uh, sinned against somebody, then you need to come and do that publicly. But when sin is confessed, it'll accomplish several things. First of all, it'll, com- it'll put the believer back into right fellowship with the Lord. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It puts us back into right fellowship with God. Secondly, it begins the process of healing. The other members of the body come to the aid of the injured part. But until confession is made, healing cannot begin because the rest of the body feels betrayed by the erring member until that member shows remorse and sorrow over that injury. Now, the only way my physical body knows that there's a problem with a certain member of my body is is for that member to send out the right signals. If it doesn't, then the rest of my body is in the dark and concerning that problem. If my, if my big toe doesn't send out the signal to you know, the rest of my body, then I'm, I don't know that there's a problem there. Thirdly, confession will shut up the gossipers and the talebearers. You know, there are some people who love nothing better than to tell the latest story of sin in someone's life. What, did you hear what so-and-so did? And what these people fail to realize is that they are just as guilty as the poor sinner they're talking about. And when sin is confessed and handled God's way, the the gossiper has no more ammunition. They're forced into silence. You know, the problem is, if we do not bring our sin to light, but attempt to hide it and pretend that it doesn't exist, God will do the honor of bringing it to light himself. Numbers 32-33 says, and be sure your sin will find you out. So that's the body injured. Secondly, notice the body involved. The body involved. Again, verse 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness, considering considering thyself, lest thou be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. When there's an injury in the body, the body responds to that injury. Some of us have a bad back. And when our back hurts, it affects the entire body. Here's another cringer. Slamming your fingers in a car door. Anybody done that before? Yeah, you know what that's like. Ouch. When this happens, every member of the body instantly gets involved. So it is in the body of Christ. When one member is injured, the rest of the body is going to respond to that member. Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know, it's a way to respond to the injury in the body that is the focus of Paul's writing. He tells us exactly how the body is to respond to an injured member. Of course, this assumes that the member has fulfilled its obligation to make things right with the Lord and with the rest of the body. Notice, first of all, a condition. The word spiritual here 
ye which are spiritual. Now that refers to those individuals within the body of Christ who are living their lives under the control of the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean they're perfect. It does mean that they're exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit and the walk of the Lord. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so forth. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And a person that is spiritual is going to be one that displays those characteristics in their life. Now, let me just clarify for you the fact that Paul is not referring to the gossiping busybody who has thrown the matter to the wind. That person may need to be saved, but they're, or may not be, need to be saved. They may already be saved, but they're not a spiritual person. Some that goes around talking about so-and-so and this and this, that is not a spiritual person. That is a carnal person. That is a person who needs to get right with the Lord themselves. So the rest of this section and of the message is for those who are called spiritual believers. Now that is those who possess the spirit of love and meekness and gentleness and goodness and so forth. To those members of the body, Paul issues a direct command. So notice, secondly, a command. The command is to restore. Now, what did restore mean? Restore meant to set a broken bone or a dislocated joint. And the word carries with it many word pictures. We could, uh, you know, we, we kind of, right away, we think about setting a bone in, uh, uh, you know, a joint in, back into its right place or something like that. But there are other word pictures here that you could use with this word restore. It may be to strengthen worn down people. You know, strengthen worn down people. That's what it may mean here to restore. Ever get worn down? Ever know someone who gets spiritually worn down? Now, I know we, we all, some, uh, many of us will go way beyond what our physical bodies can, can allow, and we get tired. Uh, we, get, uh, we get worn down. Well, that does not help our spiritual life either. We can get worn down spiritually if we're not careful. And so to restore, maybe to encourage and put the smile back on some faces, you know, that are spiritually worn down and put the joy back into their lives. Another picture, I think, is to mix medicines to produce a healing balm. Uh, I didn't say bomb, bomb, uh, you know, explodes. I said balm, okay? Uh, you know, that's the kind of a healing balm. Maybe that's, that's the picture here that restore has to do. Uh, it may be some kind of uh, 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 something that helps a person in those aches, you know, the back ache, you know, or the, the, the shoulder ache. Mixing something up to put on there so that it'll, it feels better. Well, that's the picture also that needs, uh, that we have and restore uh, in the body of Christ. Uh, here's one for you that you uh, might relate to, some of you anyway, to outfit a boat or put things in order. Now, uh, some of you are, are fishermen, and so you don't just go out into the boat. You get your boat and go out there. Oh, forgot my fishing pole. Uh, uh, go back, get your fishing pole. Oh, forgot the, the lures. Uh, go back. Oh, forgot the worms. Whatever, you know. You put things in order before you go out. And so Restore has the idea 
Uh, put things in order can also be to organize your life wherever you are, if you're in an office or if you're a kitchen or wherever you're at. Organizing, that can be the picture there too. But to outfit a boat or put things in order. Uh, another picture is the mending of a broken fishing net. Now, when we were down at the beach, I know, uh, don't talk about it, but we were at the beach and somebody was out throwing a net out there in the ocean trying to catch some some fish, okay? Well, if the net's broken, the fish are going to get through and it's not going to do any good. So sometimes, if you know how what you're doing, you can mend the fishing boat. That's restoring that fishing net back to its purpose. Uh, then also to act as a peacemaker. Now, this is what some of you parents are doing all the time, seems like, right? Acting as a peacemaker, trying to get cooperation in the family. But that's what the word restore means. It's bringing warring parties together. So this is the idea that a spiritual believer can help a fallen believer be restored to a place where they once were with Christ. And we're to help them get their life back in order. Uh, This can only be accomplished as the life of Christ through the spirit of the uh, fruit of the spirit is lived out in those who are spiritual those who are spiritual believers. Now, the idea of setting the bone, that carries with it images of pain. And yet, it's far better to endure pain for a short time instead of having a broken bone and having a pain for a long time. So it is in the church. It's hard to forgive sin sometimes. It's hard to forget the past. But it's a trial that's worth enduring It's better to set things right than to just continually live with that broken relationship going on and on because it does not help the ministry of the local church. It's going to hinder it. Now, there's a challenge here as well. The spiritual believer is to restore the erring brother in a spirit of meekness. We're to look well to ourselves. Remember that Today it is my brother, tomorrow it might be me. Listen, none of us are in a position to gloat or to say, hey, look at me, i am really got it made. You know, I've got it all under control. There isn't one of us in this room who's not capable of the worst sin imaginable. And therefore, we reach out to our fallen fellow believers. We must do so with our eyes, not on their sin, but on ourselves because it's by the grace of God that that's not us. You know, in truth, it's just the mercy of God that the rest of us haven't been caught in our sins. Imagine for a moment that the Lord allowed every thought you ever had to be played in full color and stereo for the world to see. Oh, boy. So, sure, I'd like that. You know, putting that all up on the screen, that would be kind of tough to handle, wouldn't it? You say, but the thoughts are different. No. Are the thoughts different? To think it is a sin. To do is merely another sin. Consider yourself as you deal with the sin of a brother's life. Fourthly, a Christ-likeness here. Notice verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. In These verses, the spiritual Christian is commanded to bear, to help carry the burdens of those who are fallen. The word burdens refers to a weight that is too heavy to be carried by an individual. The picture here is of an injured body 
part being unable to bear the load. Uh, you blow a knee playing basketball, you know, you're, you're, the rest of your body's going to suffer for it. And you, you can't bear the load. And so somebody, a teammate, and then the coach come and they, you get on their shoulders and you, they help you bear the load. When we're injured, the entire body helps to compensate for the weakness of the injured part. And when it happens in the body of Christ, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. Now, what is the law of Christ? Well, it's merely the Lord Jesus re- reproducing His life through the spiritual body in the world. In this life, we will never be more like Jesus. I want you to get this. In this life, we will be, never be more like Jesus than we are when we are actively seeking to restore fallen saints back to a place of well-being in the Lord. We'll never be more like Jesus than we are when we are actively seeking to restore fallen saints back to the place of well-being in the Lord. You may not believe this right now, but a closer look at what Jesus was doing when He confronted sinners during His earthly ministry reveals much of His heart and how His children uh, would treat the fallen. Some examples, and we won't look at them today, but you remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4? You remember the woman taken in adultery in John chapter 8? How about the, the sinner who anointed his feet in Luke 7? Or Zacchaeus? You know, when these events and many others are considered by the student of the Bible, it becomes clear that Jesus was consistent in his treatment of the sinner. It should be noticed that Jesus, first of all, was honest with them. That is, he never glossed over their sins. He didn't ever say, oh, it's okay, it'll be okay. No, he called sin, sin, and he didn't gloss over it. He was honest with them about their sins. Secondly, he loved them, and he forgave them. Third, he always treated them with respect and love. You know, again, when a believer has fallen into sin, the best that we can do for them is to love them and reach out to them in the Spirit of Christ. And our duty to the sinner is clear. We owe them all a debt of love. When we reach out to them and try to restore them to a place of fellowship with the Lord, we're doing the work of Jesus in our lives. It pleases Him and it sends the right kind of message to a watching world. So we have the body injured, we have the body involved. Thirdly, we have the body instructed. Verse 3 through 5. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burdens. Now Paul moves into a discussion of these matters to talk to the church here. uh, And he offers some needed instruction to those who are willing to hear him. First, there's a Something about personal opinion. Verse 3. If a man think himself to be something. That's personal opinion. The idea of this verse is never look down on a fellow believer just because he's fallen into sin. When you look down on them, we're displaying an attitude that says, you know what? I'm better than you are. I'm better than that. I would never do that. I'd never do what they did. 
And the Word of God tells us that's a dangerous attitude to have. In fact, the person who thinks they have, they're above committing some sins is in danger of doing just that sin. Proverbs 16 and verse 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before the fall. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So there's something about personal opinion. Secondly, there's something about personal obedience. Verse 4, But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. The idea of this verse is that every man should live in his, his life in obedience to the Lord. And when we do, we will be able to rejoice in a life well lived. When we live lives that are pleasing to the Lord, then we won't have to look around to find someone who's living worse than we are to compare ourselves so that we can feel good about ourselves. You know, if I will please the Lord with my life, I can rejoice in my life. And then I can exhibit love of Christ to others because I will not rejoice in iniquity. Thirdly, Something here about personal obligation. Verse 5. For every man shall bear his own burden. Now that appears to contradict verse 2. But you look closely here and it reveals that there is no contradiction here. Paul is telling us that some weights are too heavy to be carried alone. That's verse 2. And yet there are some burdens that must be carried alone. The word burden in this verse is like the uh, soldier's pack as he goes into, into, uh, into war. Our duty before God is to live as, for the Lord as individuals, making the most of our lives here for His glory. And the whole idea of this statement is that in the end, it won't matter what kind of life your fellow Christians lived. It all will, that will matter is for you, is how you lived your life. When you are through with your life, You're going to face God alone. You're not going to face God for that person's sin. You're going to face God for you. He'll not ask you what you think about your neighbor's sin. He'll ask you, how did you respond to your neighbor's sin? How did you help your neighbor? I'll face God on the basis of of what I have or have not done. I'll stand alone, and so will you. And so as we try to bring these thoughts to a close, allow me to tell you what I believe the Lord would have us to do in response to this truth. If there is sin in your life, deal with it. Your sin should not be allowed to hinder this church another minute. If you are guilty of gossiping or spreading the word about sin, you need to get that thing right today. Every believer in this building needs to make a fresh commitment to handle sin in a manner that's consistent with the teachings of our Lord's inspired word. And if there is someone here today who's never been saved, your greatest need today is to come to the Lord Jesus and have your sins taken care of. Let's pray. Father in heaven,